So Holy Spirit, ask that you would please help us to learn from your word and live by it. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, good to see all of you here. Uh, those of you watching on the podcast, just before I preach, I want to say, really encourage you to go to the Immerse Conference at the end of this month. Be led by our staff and volunteers and sessions for kids, families, adults, uh, all about how to connect with God better. And we all need that, so I would in- encourage you to, to be there. Uh, I-, I read a study not too long ago that said that folks who go to church get sick less often than folks who don't. And the researchers speculated it's because there's so many people coming from different neighborhoods, offices, schools, that folks in church are exposed to a wider variety of germs, and so they build up more immunity. Now, I have no idea if that's accurate, but I thought it was an interesting metaphor, right? Like, what's great about church is so many infected people. That's kind of encouraging and kind of not. But I also think it gets at what Jesus intends to be one of the great blessings of Christian community, and that is it's filled with people, different backgrounds, different perspectives, different kind of places in life. And that makes our lives richer, bigger, deeper, better, and I'll say why in a minute. The early church did something that had never been done in human history. It put together people of different races, classes, ages, Jews and Gentiles who had been at war, who had hated each other for centuries. And they didn't just coexist. They actually learned to love each other because Jesus transcended their differences. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but if you experience that kind of community, that kind of friendship with someone, it is so life-giving for a couple of reasons. First, we just live more wisely if we have people of different kind of perspectives in our life. In the story that Rich just read, King Ahab wants to go to war. 400 prophetic yes-men say, go for it. And I love the whatever, the unpronounceable name guy to demonstrate it makes the iron horns, right? With these, you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed, like... Thanks, Darth Vader, for the, you know, encouraging word, but you might need to chill out. Ahab's ally, King Jehoshaphat, says, these guys are just corporate yes-men. Isn't there a prophet of the Lord we could inquire of? And, and, and Ahab says, yeah, there's this guy, Micaiah, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but bad, only bad. I just, you know, he doesn't ever tell me what I want to hear, so forget him. Is there someone in your life right now offering you a different perspective then you want to hear, that might be God's word to you. Might not be, but it might be God's word to you. So they call him in, and Micaiah says, basically, if you go to war, you're going to get killed. And Ahab says, see, I told you, he never prophesies anything good about me, only bad. So Ahab goes to war anyway, and guess what happens? He gets killed. When we surround ourselves with folks who think, act, see the world just the same way we do, we can make some really bad decisions. Second reason, different kinds of people in our life is life-giving is it just makes it more interesting. When my wife and I had just started dating, she invited me to her family for Thanksgiving. I was the brand new boyfriend. As you know, my wife is Chinese, and at one point, her whole family started speaking in Chinese really fast, and then they'd look at me. And then they'd start talking again. And my wife speaks just a little bit of Chinese, so she would translate for me. The problem was they would talk for like three or four minutes in Chinese, and she'd translate like in five seconds, leaving me with the impression that she was editing. And at one point she said to me, I bet when you were growing up in eastern Washington, you never imagined having Thanksgiving with a bunch of Chinese people. And, and I said, no, I'd always sort of pictured it a little more Norman Rockwell-like. And she said, well, how do you feel about that? And I knew that was a test. So I said, I love it. 
which is true. Because until I was 15, I had never been more than an hour away from my house. To me, the East Coast was Pasco because it was on the other side of the river. So this was a whole new fascinating world for me. Like I was just so psyched. And, you know, I love my in-laws. They just have this different view of life, a whole different perspective, different customs, some of which still seem strange to me. Like they don't mind celebrating Christmas whenever, middle of January. That's, you know, that's just wrong. I mean, this is a biblical teaching. It's just sin. But it's interesting. It's more interesting. Third reason that different kinds of people in our life is life-giving, and this is the most important. It's just deeper, more meaningful relationships because they're not built on what we have in common other than our common need for Jesus. All of us are sinners in need of the grace of Jesus, and that transcends all of our cultural silos. You see that today in the Middle East where Palestinian and Israeli Christians call each other brother and sister in Christ. Only Jesus can transcend those kinds of silos. And when we experience that, it makes Jesus seem so much more real and it creates this deep, spiritual, supernatural bond. When I've been in Cambodia or Africa or the Andes Mountains with people different languages, very different economic condition than I live in, and yet I feel this deep bond with them because of our common need for the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. I got an email from one of the young adults in our church who's part of a women's mentoring group here that we have where women in their 20s get together with women who are older. And this young woman wrote this. She said, it has seriously opened my experience of the kingdom of God. It's broken down cultural barriers between young and old, which exist mainly because of insecurities. Young people think older people don't have time for them. Older people think that young people wouldn't want to be with them. But when I leave these mentoring times, my heart is so full. It's a place where older people use their life experience to encourage young people to be who God created them to be. And young people bring new adventure into older folks' lives and encourage them to be who God created them to be. Beautiful. When I lived in California, I met every week with a man in his 80s. I taught the retired men's Bible study, and we got to know each other that way, and that turned into a weekly meeting. And he was a World War II vet, 42 years older than me. There were more years between us than I had been alive. And he helped me know how to be a better husband, father, Christian, because he'd done that for decades. And he had a very different worldview than I did. So when I had to decide whether or not to come here, I spent an entire morning with him. And, and folks my age had been asking me questions like, well, what do you feel like doing? Which is a fine question, but typical of my generation. He asked a different kind of question. He asked about my motives. He asked how I could best be used in the kingdom of God. He asked several times if I just needed to be a senior pastor because of some kind of ego problem that I had. That one irritated me. I'm like, what do you know, old man? Be quiet, Right. But as we went through this conversation, he started to get tears in his eyes because over those four hours, it became clear that I was supposed to come here. And finally, I said, John, how did I get here? I mean, I came to California to be a professor, and the first time I came to Menlo Park Church wasn't even to go to church, let alone become a pastor. I I was just trying to find a phone booth to call my ex-wife. Didn't think I was making a career move there. And he said, that'd be a great sermon. And I said, John, do you mean that that would be a great farewell sermon to Menlo Park? And he just dropped his head and he said, yeah. Life-changing conversation for me because he thought differently than I did. He was from another time where things like duty and honor had more currency than they do today. And he changed my life. And when we allow Jesus to transcend our cultural silos, whether they are race or age or just perspective on life, 
we get bigger, deeper, richer relationships. Well, then, so how do we do that then? Because there's a lot in our culture that keeps us apart, isn't there? So how do we overcome that? I mean, in, growing up in my neighborhood, my neighborhood was so homogenous. I mean, like diversity was when someone with a Swedish last name moved in, right? Like, oh, look, we are the world. Colors of Benetton. Someone has a Swedish last name, right? So and we tend to cluster with folks of the same age, same politics, same race, same view of the world, same taste in music, same perception on how church ought to be done. But the problem is, if you do that, well, you know what? Then you become like European royalty in the, in the 19th century, inbred with bad teeth. And you don't want that, okay? That's a bad thing. So how do we overcome it? We need three things. The first, some of you are just getting the inbred joke. That's awesome. Um, three things we need. First is we got to have the Holy Spirit. This is a miracle, okay? The church was born on Pentecost when people from all different countries, different languages were together in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit filled the disciples and they began to preach, but people with different languages heard them in their native tongue, which was a miracle. And the Apostle Peter said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on a couple of people. No, on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That's men and women. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. That's young and old together. Even on my servants, I will pour out my spirit. In other words, all classes. It's an undoing of the Tower of Babel story. Where back in the Old Testament, folks tried to build a tower to get to God and be like God. So God destroyed it and the people scattered and developed different languages. And this undoes that. And the point is the Holy Spirit connects us to people who are very different than we are. And that changes us. You know, folks in the early church didn't just keep behaving the same old way. They'd always behaved. But, but through the Spirit and through each other, they started to live the eternal kind of life. And give up sins that were destructive and harmful. Even ones that their culture told them they were fine. Like the Romans who thought imperialism was just dandy until they met Jesus and the people they were oppressing. They met them in their community. You can see this today in Rwanda where victims of genocide sit side by side with those who killed their families and call them brother and sister in Christ and together overcome through the power of Jesus centuries of animosity. Okay, if they can do that in Rwanda, do you think you could be friends with a Democrat or a Republican? Oh, that was uncomfortable, Scott. That sort of annoyed me. Good. The Holy Spirit enables that kind of thing to happen. We can transcend all the silos. Jesus trumps our divisions, guys. He's bigger. He's bigger. Second thing we need, we got to welcome what we don't want to hear. King Ahab didn't want to hear the word that he needed to hear. We need to open ourselves up. Differences are all around us if we just stop ducking them, right? I have a friend who's a marriage counselor, and he said one time a couple came to him, and they said, we're having trouble in our marriage because of irreconcilable differences, and he laughed. And he said, of course you are. One of you's a man. One of you's a woman. That's an irreconcilable difference. (laughs) They're all over. By definition, the sins that can most derail us are the ones we don't see or that we have justified to ourselves. So we've got to carefully consider that word from a Christian friend that maybe we don't want to hear, that perspective that is different. They may not be right, but we need to carefully consider it because it might be God's word to us. Sometimes in leadership seminars, you'll hear people say to CEOs and whatnot, you know, folks in your organization don't need to have everything their own way. They just need to be heard. Actually, I haven't experienced that to be true at all. Mostly people just want their own way. But it does help if you not just hear their opinions, but you carefully consider them. Prayerfully consider the uncomfortable voice. 
One of the people whose opinions I most value on this staff is Dana Van Horn, one of our pastors, because she and I do not always see eye to eye, and we have sort of different understandings sometimes of how church should sort of go. And man, that has saved my bacon so many times. I mean, she has just saved me from some bad decisions. When I was brand new here, some of you will remember this. When I was brand new, we used to have these pictures of the pastors on the wall as you entered the church over there. So my first week here, I went and got my picture taken. But I am so unphotogenic, the best the photographer could get out of me was this picture. Okay, look at that. Like, is that a grumpy-looking pastor or what? So visitors visitors would walk in, and this is the first thing they would see, right? Welcome to our church. Now sit down and worship. And then get out of here because we've got another service. Right? It was just, so, so that was no good. So a few months later, I had it retaken, but still the photographer could not get a good picture out of me. So he took out one of those sock puppets you use to make kids laugh. I kid you not. And he starts going, look at the pretty puppet, look at the pretty puppet. I felt so stupid, but I d- he did manage to get a better picture of me. See? In fact, you could almost use those two pictures as a before and after campaign for our church. Before Bell Press, after Bell Press. Look at that. But even still, it was a little weird because you look at it and you go, he's looking at a puppet. That's just bizarre, right? And people would say, you know, it just creeps me out to walk in the church and have you staring at me like that, right? And, and, and you know, and, and it wasn't just my picture up there. Riches was up there. All the pa- We called it the wall of shame, right? So I decided to have him take him down. Plus, I was also sort of worried. It made this unintended theological comment that the church was its pastors, not its people. So for all those reasons, I decided to take him down. But Dana said, you know what? You've only been here a couple of months, and some folks are glad you're here. It was the sum that bothered me. (laughs) So you might want to wait a while before you take him down. And I said, no, because you see, uh, you're right. So I left him up. About a year later, one day, they were just gone. And to this day, I have no idea who took them down. (laughs) Probably one of you, right? Get rid of these stupid things. Or maybe it was Dana. I don't know. Maybe it was just like, get rid of these things. Welcome what you don't want to hear. And then the third thing we need is to cultivate relationships with people who are different. Different perspectives, different races. You know, as a church, we are primarily Caucasian, and we need to work on that. Although we are, gradually, over the years, we've slowly gotten better with that, a little more diversity. My wife is doing her part, so, you know. <laughs> Another opportunity we have as a church is to, do, is to have intergenerational relationships. My life has been so enriched by having older people in my life to mentor me and guide me and give me a vote of confidence by handing leadership to me. And younger people who give me fresh ideas. I love the way younger folks will often ask the question, Scott, why do we do it this way? Well, you see, it's because we, why do we do it that way? Right? And it just, it gives you a different view of the world. But tragically, in our culture, there's often sometimes separation, tension between generations. Sometimes the message we older folks tend to get is, you know what, you're irrelevant, you don't matter anymore. This week I was doing some chores at home and my daughter said, oh, poor daddy, having to bend his aching back at his age. I'm like, it doesn't ache that much today. And now in our culture, there are churches for younger people and churches for older people. You know what? I do not see that anywhere in the New Testament. The passage Peter quotes talks about all races, all classes, all different ages together. And that sparks revival. In fact, most revivals in history have been intergenerational in nature. 
Whenever I'm asked about what I love about Bell Press, one of the things I always put way at the top of my list is the older saints in this congregation, folks who have been radically sacrificing for Jesus for longer than I have been alive. And you, some of you have heard me tell the story, it needs to be retold and not forgotten. Folks who in the 50s started this church when all the Presbyterian leaders and stuff over in Seattle said, Bellevue? Who wants to go to church in Bellevue? Right? But they started it anyway. It used to meet in a funeral home. Right? The choir rehearsed in the coffin room. That's just creepy. Right? Like the choir director would come in and say, boy, it's really dead around here. Right? Bad joke, but you know, we have come a long way as a church. It's been decades since we have had to rehearse in a coffin room, okay? And then some of our older folks started a coffee shop in the 70s for drug addicts and runaways in Bellevue. Some went into the jungles of Guatemala to find a village to partner with until it was economically self-sustaining and on and on and on. So inspiring. And those of you who are older, the younger folks in this church, they want to be around you. And you know what, older folks? We've got some of the most amazing students and young adults and young families in this church I have ever seen. And they have vision and passion and creativity and really great ideas. And they want older folks in their lives. A few months ago, we had a prayer and worship night here in conjunction with a group called Catalyst, which is a a couple hundred young adults who once a month get together on a Friday night to worship. And last spring, the leaders came to us and basically said, we need some of your old people. Like, we want some older people, their wisdom, we want them in the room. Can you help us out with that? And I said, absolutely. We are to older people as Saudi Arabia is to oil. We've got tons of them, tons of them. It's just our greatest natural resource in this church. And, and one of the men who went had heard me say before that sometimes youth and young adults will gravitate to the oldest person in the room because this is a generation in lots of ways starved to have older people in their lives. And this older man didn't believe me until during that worship night they had a time where folks could go receive prayer and he was one of the prayer ministers. And he said, Scott, you're right. I was the oldest person in the room. I had the longest line. In fact, there's another catalyst coming up on the 14th. You may want to go to that. Because revival begins when all of God's people, different races, different classes, old and young, come together. Last year, our modern worship band did a CD that was all hymns. And they recorded one of the hymns, the doxology, in the room behind the pipes for the organ over in the sanctuary. I didn't even know there was a room back there. And it's this room with all the pipes, and they recorded the doxology, and it's echoing off the walls. just sounds great, right? And I just think that's a cool picture for our church because that room is also behind the big giant cross in the sanctuary, which is made from the beams of the original church that used to be up on the hill where our upper campus is now. So here's our modern worship guys, two of whom are in their 20s, singing this ancient hymn behind the cross made out of the beams of the original church built in the 50s, old and young, new and ancient, beautiful. So Bell Press, one vision. In a culture where there's churches for young people and churches for older people, could we be different? What if the young people in our community said, man, if you want people who are going to share their failures and their successes so you can learn from them, if you want older folks who will give you a vote of confidence by asking you to take on significant leadership, if you want the blessing of older people in your life, man, Bell Press is where you want to be. And what if older folks in our community said, if you want to go where your age and experience is respected and honored, and if you want to hear a younger person say to you, you've changed my life, you're the stand-in dad, you're the older brother, you're the stand-in mom, the mentor, without whom my life wouldn't be the same, then you want to go to Bell Press. Bell Press, could we be that church? Because ain't nobody, I mean, ain't nobody doing that. Lots of ways 
marriage mentoring program. Be part of our children or middle school or youth ministries. This spring, I'm going to volunteer to lead a Bible study in our high school group. My 14-year-old daughter has graciously agreed to tolerate my presence there. Lars Rood, our family ministries pastor, will be in the lobby if you want to talk more about that. Talk to our young adults director, Ryan Beatty. Or you know what? Just befriend someone who's different than you. In your neighborhood, your office, school, different race, different perspective on life, different age, whatever it is. I recently read a story from a very wealthy woman who said that she was a spoiled wife of a strong-willed husband. She was a socialite, went to every party that she could possibly go to. But then she had a daughter with severe mental disabilities. And she said, I was so mad that we'd had this daughter that I turned my back on God, my friends, and my husband. And she said she and her husband just shunned the child, hired nannies so they didn't have to deal with her at all. She said one evening they were headed to a party, but she was so mad that her husband was afraid that she was going to make a scene, so they stayed home. And she said, I was boiling with resentment and rage when one of her maids, a woman 10 years younger, said, I love you very much. And I hate to see this eating you up, so I'm going to say this as gently as I know how. You will never be happy until you open your heart to this child. And you will never be happy until you make your heart a manger where Jesus can be born. This woman said, I was so mad, I fired her on the spot, threw her out of my house. But that night, she couldn't get those words out of her head. Or ignore the fact that this maid always seemed so joyful, even though she had a really hard life. And this woman said, I'd gone to church my whole life, but this was one of those moments of real contact with Jesus. So I knelt beside my bed and I said, God, open my heart to this daughter you've given me and make my heart a home, a manger where Jesus can be born. And she said, I felt a whole new spirit enter my life. And over time, there was born in me a love for my daughter and a love for all special needs kids. And from there, she ended up really enjoying her daughter who taught her a ton about love and unconditional love and acceptance and all of that. She got involved in organizations that help special needs kids and just found a ton of joy. And she ended by saying, oh, and the maid? I rehired her. And she was a part of our family for decades. She didn't want to hear it. Different perspective than she had, but God spoke to her through her maid. Someone from a different class, a different race, a different education level, a different age. She prayerfully considered it, and the result was joy. That's what Jesus can do. That's what we're called to be because it's bigger, richer, deeper. So who in your life is given a perspective that maybe you don't want to hear? might be God's word to you. And how can you cultivate relationships with folks who are different than you in some way so that you can know the depth that is found only through Jesus in those kinds of relationships? Jesus, who himself was just different, right? Like what kind of king is born in a barn? What kind of God dies on a cross? What kind of moral leader hangs out with thieves and foul-mouthed fishermen? He was just different. And because of that brought life and healing and freedom and wholeness and joy. And he wants to do that for you and for me through his spirit and through each other. Maybe even that person who's different. Actually, maybe especially through that person who's different. Because Jesus trumps all of our divisions. Jesus is Lord and our culture is not. So Jesus, thank you for that and ask that you would open our hearts to those people in our lives, schools, offices, wherever it is that maybe you're calling us into relationship with so that we can see just how big you are and how deep friendship can go in you. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.